Welcome to Jam Session. I'm Juliette Littman. I'm Amanda Dobbins. Hello, Amanda. Hi, Juliette. We today are going to discuss a few things. We are going to talk about Marissa Tomei's Grub Street Diet. We did not get the chance to discuss Ana de Armas having cutouts of herself in the front yard. So we're going to touch on that. But first, we are going to start with Jessica Mulroney's threats at Sasha Exeter, which transpired largely on Instagram last week. And Jessica Mulroney is someone we have mentioned on this podcast many times as she is close friends with Meghan Markle and her stylist and was also um, like prominently featured in the wedding. So she had a international stage. When was that? Two plus years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, let's just start with what happened per Sasha Exeter. Sasha Exeter, who is a black Canadian Instagram influencer, posted like a 12 minute video to her Instagram, like IGTV, which by the way, I'm really glad like anyone can do that. I think anyone can do that um, to their IGTV because it just, it opens up the platform to, to anyone, you know? I have been experiencing more IGTV in quarantine in general. Yeah. It's just people have time and I have time. Totally. I, I think that there's like, and I just, there's some platforms like on Twitter, I think like only certain users, like if you're verified or something or you're approved for it can do like a 10 minute video or something like that. But like, I'm, I'm happy that on Instagram, all the tools apply to all people. And I think like, this is a good example of how it's particularly useful because Sasha Exeter was able to speak with context about what happened. And so here's what she says. And I'm going to jump around. You should definitely check out her full video. Her name is Sasha Exeter. Check her out on Instagram. So this is what she said. Very early on in this, I was very vocal about wanting my peers and folks with an online presence to speak out, stand up and use their voice for good to help combat what's going on with this race war and what's happening to the black community. I've been extremely mindful and cognizant with the way I communicate in my approach, making sure during these posts sharing that I was never, not once, calling out anybody directly. Unfortunately, though, one very prominent Canadian figure who used to be an acquaintance of mine named Jessica Mulroney took offense to a very generic call to action that I shared on my IG stories. And what happened next was a series of very problematic behavior and antics that ultimately resulted in her sending me a threat in writing last Wednesday, June the 3rd. Listen, I'm by no means calling Jess a racist, but what I will say is this. She's very well aware of her wealth, her perceived power and privilege because of the color of her skin. And that, my friend, gave her the momentary confidence to come for my livelihood in writing. Textbook white privilege, really, in my personal opinion. And then she goes on to explain that essentially when Sasha Exeter was calling for many people, not specifically one person to get more involved um, in speaking out in support of black lives matter and against police brutality. And in part of this movement that has emerged, Jessica Mulroney went to Sasha Exeter's sponsors to try to cancel Sasha's various sponsorships and, and therefore combat her livelihood. And um, Jessica Mulroney publicly apologized but then privately DM'd Jess, uh, privately DM'd Sasha to say that she had done um, libel, but mis- misspelled it. And Sasha screenshotted that and shared it. And um, it's just a really ugly, ugly display from Jessica Mulroney. Yes, absolutely. I just wanted to read from Sasha Exeter's. Here's what Sasha Exeter said about the the message that Jessica Mulroney sent her, um, because it's. It is quite ugly and I think maybe not worth hearing, but, you know, we should use it. So um, she made herself the victim, of course, me the villain. I'm I'm reading from a transcription of uh, Sasha Exeter's video. 
A story mysteriously popped up in the Daily Mail UK, a British tabloid last Tuesday, which could be June the 2nd. I was blocked from her Instagram account that same day and a trail of offensive messages to me that ended in her saying, and I quote, I have also spoken to companies and people about the way you've treated me unfairly. You think your voice matters. Well, it only matters if you express it without shaming people who are simply trying to learn. Good luck. And then after that, she sends the message with, um, I believe what she wrote is liable suit. Yeah. L-A- Good luck. L-I-A-B-L-E. Right. Which is, which is not how it's spelled. It is um, astonishingly ugly. I think that is the right word for it. And, um, you know, we're going to, we're going to talk a little bit about this and we're going to talk about, um, the various reasons that this became such a big deal, but I do just want to say, you know, I don't want to speak like we are the experts on like that on everything in the world. Certainly not. And like, and also that, you know, everyone, um, is trying to learn and trying to do better and no one is perfect, but this, this, this in particular is just a, stunning lack of empathy and also a stunning example of making it about yourself just like which it is one definition of of white privilege as I think we have all been discussing in the in the past few past few weeks and months and and should have been discussing for years but it's um just to to insert yourself into a conversation that is so much larger and is about that um, so many people are now having on a really large scale about black lives and police brutality and uh, police funding and important issues. And to take it as a personal threat is, and then to, or like a personal call out and then a process that personal call out um, by threatening the, the livelihood as, as Sasha Exeter says, but really threatening someone's business because you feel your feelings are hurt is, well, you know, I guess we've seen various examples of it in the past few weeks, but it is still quite shocking. Yeah, it it is quite shocking. And then, you know, I think one of the reasons people are talking about this is because Jessica Moroni is, first of all, quite famous in Canada. And like I said, she has an inter- she's had an international stage by um, being a part of the royal wedding of Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. And she remains publicly, or in, un- until this moment, good friends with Meghan Markle. And she, without naming, she also invoked Meghan Markle, not by name, but in her apology, which she put in the comments, I believe, of Sasha Exeter's post. She wrote, um, this is just a piece of it. As I told you privately, I have lived a very public and personal experience with my closest friend where race was front and center. So that's a, that's a allusion to Meghan and the royal family and just the British press and everything we've been talking about for quite a while on this podcast. And so by invoking Megan that way, she kind of um, tries to make it seem like she has some kind of like that she does, that she does not have, she's not acting on the privilege that Jessica, uh, that Sasha Exeter is accusing her of. And it's all just very um, tone deaf to say the least and ugly, as we said, and just sort of like a apotheosis of a lot of the problem that I think media is grappling with right now of how, people specifically white women and white men when they're called out how they're responding yes and we should note so i the comment that you just read has apparently since been deleted and so and then she issued another uh 
more apology, like actually on her Instagram feed, an apology of sorts. It is designed and it's not a notes app and it, it it's engaging, but you know, she only terms it as like a, here's the first sentence as some of you may have seen Sasha Exeter and I had a, a disagreement, which is as many people have pointed out, not just like an understatement, but is kind of equating the behavior and it's it's both sizing it, right? Of saying yeah. there are like there are two ways to look at this and she, you know, which which is not the case. It it's like a pretty clear example of uh, aggression and um you know discrimination and just ugliness on the part of Jessica Mulroney, where, where Sasha Exeter was just speaking about her experiences and advocating for Black Lives Matter. Like, that's it. So I wanted to point that out also just because there is now kind of a recent history of the the first apology that gets deleted and then the second apology that still doesn't quite uh, go far enough or, um, you know, like the slightly more thoughtful one. But in this case, is not really there. It's, it is becoming a media trend as well. Sadly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, on our site, we've written about the art of the apology. I think both Kate Nibbs and Alyssa Bresnak have touched on this at various times in their, in their writing for the ringer. And it used to be like something that you could like find some levity in, but it's like, it's just not funny. There's nothing funny about it. Like the sort of these, these hollow apologies that don't really hit on the actual problem and, or don't recognize that there was like an actual like wrong committed, like Jessica Moroni's by saying like that they had a disagreement doesn't acknowledge that she did something wrong. Really. She, like you said, she like both sides it. And it's just sort of like, it's just appalling. I don't know. It's just so, um, it's just appalling. I don't know another word to, to say it. Yeah. We should note that after all of this, Jessica Mulroney's, um, TV show, I do redo was canceled from, CTV. Um, and all of the, the platforms have been removed. And so she also had been a contributor to good morning America and she, she lost that. Right. So, you know, that all happened pretty quickly in response to this, which I, I think makes, makes sense. Um, (laughs) so, and the other thing, and you alluded to this and that I wanted to talk a little bit about was just kind of how, why this became such a big thing. And it became a big thing. I think, you know, there are levels to it. Uh, Number one, it's just number one, appalling behavior. And like, is a bit of an insight into how the influencer economy works and kind of the, the perils of being paid for attention, which is something that we talk about a lot on this podcast. And I, that doesn't excuse any of Jessica Mulroney's behavior, but it's just kind of just how these things work and what people can are doing behind the scenes and kind of how influence and, um, and relationships and often threats can be a, a, a part of it. And then the other thing is obviously the Meghan Markle of it all. And yes. we have talked about Jessica Mulroney on this podcast, but really only in the context of Meghan Markle. We are yeah. not really following Jessica Mulroney's career on its own. Um, I did not know that I Do Redo existed until it was canceled this week. That is my level of interest in Jessica Mulroney, independent of Meghan Markle. And it definitely, you know, Meghan Markle is mentioned in in every single write-up covering this event. And this event becomes like a, 
an international affair. And that is just so unfair and for Meghan Markle. It just, it's, it's awful. She is absolutely not responsible for any of this. And it just sucks. Yeah. I, I also have to say, like, I've completely stopped following royal news. Like, A, because um, it seems like more pointless than ever. But mm-hmm. more, like, like, the institution. But moreover, the reporting about Meghan and Harry, like, there is no reporting. It is all either... Um, it's all stories that are planted by someone or other. And, and royal reporting always had a lot of plants. And like, we've discussed this as well, like how Royal news makes it into the media and the different like levers that can be pulled. But I have, I think that the tone towards Megan and Harry is like more vicious than ever. And I, I've really, I've like, almost like totally stopped reading the daily mail I, I, as discussed. It was a pop-up prop. I was a um, ad blocker issue, but like, I just realized how toxic it, it is now that I've stopped reading it and I've really like not missed it that much. And then when I, when I come across a headline that's like about them from the Daily Mail, it's just so callous. And I'm just sort of like, I don't, I sort of cut out all of it because I can't, there doesn't seem to be anything truthful or like fact-based. I have as well. I, I've had the same reaction. Um, it just... Because at some point you do realize that all of these stories are, and we knew this before, but honestly, we're probably just not engaging with it as much as we should have, even though, you know, we've talked about how guilty we feel about reading the Daily Mail all the time. And and yeah. I, I do as well. And then I have that muscle memory and I just click again. Um, but we know that everything is presented with perspective and spin and everyone has their own editorialization and their own agenda when presenting these stories. And I the daily mail agenda which is to to drag everyone down but really to drag harry and megan down um is i just have i have no use for it it's really not what i want um and it's really it's also ugly and we just don't have a lot of space for it so i have noticed as well that i'm just like no no thanks this is not yeah. this is not where i need to be yeah i Totally. It's, you know, I think this part of a lot of reexamining that, that you and I have been doing of like how we engage with celebrities and, and how we want to be contributing to, um, a more fair and just and equitable discourse across like everything we care about, including celebrities has also just been like, okay, like Megan and Harry said they want to live private lives. Like let's let them let's let, yes. let let it go. Happy to engage with their Disney plus content. And I look forward to like what other things they make. But I, I'm like definitely regretful of sort of like the breathlessness of of all of like the paparazzi coverage. I think they one thing about Meghan and Harry that's made it um, a sustained topic of coverage for us is that they put out so many missives like with their website and their announcements and things like that. But I think the sort of unofficial paparazzi driven stuff I, I'm like way less interested in. Yeah, it's a little bit of how to engage with celebrity culture. Yeah. Um, and how to engage with people with with people whose job is asking for attention or in the case of Harry and Meghan, people whose job is like not asking not for attention or, yeah. you know, and and it, like it becomes a little complicated when there are there are certain things that they do want attention for and 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 certain things that they don't. But maybe that's giving us like too much slack. It's really not that complicated. It's like if they you know, would like to release a video. That's great. We'll watch the video. And if not, they can continue to live wherever they are and raise their kid. And it's kind of true for a lot of people. I 
you know, candidly, I just haven't consumed a lot of celebrity news in the past few weeks because it just has not seemed important. And again, I don't, I'm not interested in people making it about themselves or, you know, their, their brand affiliation or their thing that they are trying to promote right now. Um, and you know, I, I think that's okay. And I don't anticipate that that will last forever because, you know, at, at some point it's human nature to be interested in, in other humans. I like, and I kind of don't think the entire ecosystem is going away, but I do think we can change who we're interested in, in why, and kind of what is worth giving our time to. I'm certainly thinking about that, like dramatically. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. And just thinking about, um, I've been talking about this a lot on bachelor in terms of like, who are the celebrities you're consuming and like there, and also like just having a, a wider group of celebrities that you focus on. I mean, you know, it's, it's just, a it's the type of, um, conversation we should have been having sooner. And I think, uh, you know, we are trying to change that. And it just definitely puts everything with Megan and Harry in, in a different perspective, I think. And, Absolutely. and, you know, and the Royals in general, I mean, yeah. you and I were just talking a little bit before this, this podcast of just kind of, I, and I have been thinking so much about it. It just feels really silly that I have spent so much time reading about all of this stuff that I can't believe still exists. And we've talked about that a bit. Like it seems really bizarre that the monarchy still exists. And, uh, you know, I've uh, until now approached that with a sense of fascination of like, huh, can you believe that people are willing to do this? Yeah. This seems so strange. So now I will learn every single fact about it and spend all of my time on it. And it's like, well, maybe the response to can you believe this exists is exists is to not give it all of your time, but and put your time somewhere else. Just totally. a thought. Yeah. We're looking for new outlets, you know? <laughs> um, but, but I think it's also like, I don't want to be disingenuous. I will. Yeah. I'm going to keep reading that, that stuff. I, I'm going to try to be better about what I read about it and how I think about it and amount, the amount of time that it takes up in my life. But I, I can't, I'm not going to sit here and lie and be like, I will never click on a story about the Royals again. Like that yeah. would be, that would be useless. So I also just say that I've replaced the Daily Mail with page six, which is not like a nice, warm, <laughs> fuzzy uh, publication. It's just has far fewer ads and less Royal coverage. It's not British. It, it is, it is different. Well, on a different episode, we can do a, a side-by-side page six versus the Daily Mail. But I'm by no means saying that I've given up gossip. That is definitely not the case. Yeah. I have to say, you know what I've been enjoying the most is actually I've I've gone back to people.com. Oh, and peoplemag.com, Amanda. Peoplemag. I'm really sorry because I, I know that actually matters. But um, peoplemag.com, which has just had a less vicious tabloidy view of the world and seems more engaged with kind of the like non-celebrity events that are happening and is also covering celebrity with a bit more consideration. I just want to know it actually is people.com. It's usmagazine.com that I was okay. thinking of. Okay. All right. Well, the, I don't, I don't, <laughs> mind right. being cor- I don't mind being corrected. You know, we're all just trying to get, but things- you were you correct. Correction to the correction. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, I, I think it's about emphasis. And in a way, we have talked about that before of, you know, being cognizant of where you get your information and how you yeah. get your information and how you're spending your time and who you believe and like who you know about. And I, it's being more rigorous about that. 
I think, and, and having a wider lens as you do it as well. On that note, let's go back into one of our deepest wells. Okay. Anna to Armas and Ben Affleck. I, it's, well, I mean, and here we are. This is, these are paparazzi photos. Now, I, and this is maybe something we can continue to talk about because it is a paparazzi photo. It is also Anna de Armas and Ben Affleck's children performing for the paparazzi. And, and I don't mean that in the sense of like smiling for the camera. What I am referring to, and this happened a couple of weeks ago, and and we're just circling back because I keep thinking about it, is um, the like cardboard cutout of Anna de Armas that was put in front of the home for the paparazzi. Or yes. maybe not for the paparazzi, though they were there and it seems like they are aware of it. And I believe Vulture reported that Ben Affleck's kids like helped carry it over to the place where they put it essentially. And they were like, they were like playing with it. Like the whole family was playing with the honored armist cut out on the front lawn, which was just like really funny. And if that was like paparazzi acknowledgement or bait, I'm all here for it. I, I like it. I really enjoyed it. It made me laugh a lot. There's like, there's a meta-ness to it that makes me feel like if they're in, in on the joke, it's okay for us to be in on the joke. And totally. I actually don't know whether it's totally okay for us to be in on the joke. Maybe it's like only they should be in on the joke and we can just be kind of like, wow, they're very good at this. But I, I, I was amused. It's pretty funny. And if everyone's having a happy time with it, then that's okay with me. That's where I am with it. I agree. I totally agree. Also, um, I don't know. Just I, I like I like the lightheartedness. And also, where did they get an Anna de Armas life-size cutout in the middle of the pandemic? That's one of my top questions. It's true, though. I feel like you know a lot more just generally where one gets like either large cutouts or like the sticker, the large sticker things that go on the wall. I'm gesturing yes. at the wall like anyone can see me right now. But... That's called a fat head. Okay. Um, they're like larger than light. It's like when you see... Uh, football or basketball or any professional athlete, like walking through like the bowels of their arena or stadium. And there's like cut, there's like pictures of them on the wall. Those are fat heads that have been applied. We had some in our office in the, at the ringer at sunset hour. Shout out to clay Thompson. Great mm-hmm. fat head that we had. Right. Um, but can I just like give a little bit of context? Like we didn't have it. It was just like over your desk for <laughs> a long period of time. And it was like as large as a real human. So it you was would larger. Go, I think it was larger than clay. <laughs> so you would go to talk to Juliet and then it was just like a truly giant. It was like you were having a conversation with Juliet and giant clay Thompson. I just love clay. I hope he's having a great quarantine. To be honest, I haven't really checked in on him. Um, there's a lot of coffee shops and like printing places in LA, like a lot. So those might be essential services. Those might be open. You have to figure that they also um, need some business, right? So, and that probably have some time. I mean, I don't know how many large cardboard cutouts of people are being made right now. So great point. Yeah. Why not? Um, And she looks very happy in the cardboard cutout. So that's nice. This relationship has lasted so much longer than I was expecting. And it's like been like four months, but still, that's really long. I agree. I, some of it, you have to wonder whether quarantine changes the, the nature quarantine of quarantine days are so long. Well, they're so long, but it's also, you know, once you decide to be in quarantine with someone, that's, you know, talking about Amanda's timelines, right? But yeah. that's really, that's escalating a timeline in a big way because- 
They were, as best we know, and I don't totally know, but we assume they met on the set of the movie that they were filming together, Deep Water, uh, directed by Adrian Lyne. I honestly can't wait for this movie. You know Adrian Lyne? No, I don't. Fatal Attraction and oh, cool. and Unfaithful. So it, oh, this wow. is going to be like a, an erotic thriller is my understanding of it. Nice. So just buckle up, everybody. Round two of the big picture. <laughs> yeah. It's just going to be like a, a one woman show for three hours. That would be really uncomfortable, for, every, uncomfortable for everyone. Um, so they met on the set of this, this movie, but pretty quickly we became aware of their relationship. I would say it was in February. It was like right before, right before. quarantine. Yeah. And so typically Amanda's rules of a relationship, this is too fast to be moving in together. Right. <laughs> but I just, you know, and maybe I need to rethink those because maybe I, you don't know anyone else's situation, but in quarantine, you don't have any other choice. It's the safe thing to do. And so suddenly you're really escalating the timeline of the relationship and escalating the level of commitment. So here we are and here Ben Affleck and Anda Armas are. I just hope they're happy. I hope they're having a good time. It looks like they're having a good time. I have it to does. say between the, the the cardboard and the and the birthday in the desert and the the large balloons, it seems like they're having a good time. Granted, it's only what we see. We don't, you know, everything is what's public is different than what's private. But I I do hope they're having a nice time. Let's move on. Let's move okay. on to Grub Street Diets. You called my attention to the Marissa Tomei one. Um, mm-hmm. Marissa Tomei is, uh, she is living it up. Kinda. She's at home, but like cooking a lot, right? Yeah. It, so it was, I wanted to talk about this one because I thought this was like, it was both a snapshot of a moment in time and was also just like food-wise a pretty specific and recognizable, but also like over the top, uh, Grub Street Diet, which I enjoy. I mean, Grub Street Diets are always a bit of a performance. Do you, do you read Grub Street Diets, Juliet? Um, only when I'm called, when like they're called to my attention, but like, I, okay. I know, I think Andy Greenwald is one of the greatest champion of the Grub Street Diet. So to know yes. Andy is to know about how important these are. Yeah. I'm also a big fan of them. I'm really a big fan of any of this type of content where it's just someone being like, here is everything that I did, whether it's like everything I ate or everything that I watched or, you know, the cut, which is also a New York magazine uh, publication has like how I get it done. And it's, uh, you know, prominent women just being like, here is my schedule and here are all the ways that, and I like find them so specifically revealing because even in just someone's schedule or in like what someone eats and how they describe it, you can learn so much about that person. And I guess I just am like, I just, I guess that sounds really creepy when I say it like that, but I do find them really, really like revealing in an interesting character study. Hers is really earnest in a very like, gen- in a very genuine way. I mean, mm-hmm. she talks about her, um, a mammogram she had scheduled and yes. her desire to be uh, involved in protests and not doing press for her new movie, The King of Staten Island. And it was very moving. Yes, I really liked it. And it is also, that's what I said. It's like a reflection of a moment. Also, by the way, she's fantastic in The King of Staten Island. I don't know if you saw it. I don't know where you are on Pete Davidson these days or where anyone else is. And and that's okay. But Marissa Tomei stays one of our greats. There's no faster way to trick me into seeing a movie than putting Kid Cudi in the trailer. There's just okay. no a Kid Cudi song specifically. Like, 
I love that. Uh, Pursuit of Happiness, I believe, is the song in, in the most prominent trailer. And I'm like, well, I'm going to have to watch this movie. I love this song. Have you watched it yet? No, but I'm, I plan okay. to. 20 okay. bucks. It's a lot. I, I just, it is a lot. There's a, a whole, please come on the big picture and, and share with us your thoughts about how much you, how much would you be willing to pay for without thinking about it? Um, I think $9.99 is my top. Okay. Like I would do this. No questions asked. Okay. And, $20 is pushing it for me to like half pay attention to a movie alone in my apartment. I mean, I completely agree. I, it's like we have so many options where you pay less than $20 to have so many movies and TV shows at your disposable at, at all times. So I agree with you. I also think I've been quarantining alone. I think if I was with someone and we like were desperate for activities together, $20 would seem very cheap. Like for me and like a boyfriend, I'd be like, great, $20. We've got our evening activity. But like just for, as a one, I'm just like, that's ridiculous. I could get some dumplings for 20, a lot of dumplings for $20. <laughs> you could get a tremendous <laughs> amount of dumplings for $20. I, I, maybe if you're like kind of prorating it by person, sure. But still... It's a lot. There's also, there's Netflix. There are all of these libraries where you can spend, where you are spending less and you can watch a lot of things for way less money. I think it, what it comes down to is like, if you're a Pete Davidson fan, um, mm. which are there which, Pete Davidson fans? Yeah. Again, I think this is our, you know, the traditional we're too old, uh, mm. situation where there's just like a younger generation. By the way, did you see the, the TikTok meme that was just all the Generation Z kids making fun of millennials? Yes, it was so spot on. It was incredible. It was tremendous. It was I, very upsetting. It was very I, correct. And it, and it was also really clarifying because I am a millennial, but I'm sometimes like, am I old millennial? Am I really, you know, I'm on the, the outer edge. And then I was like, oh, no, I'm a millennial. These Generation Z people just have roasted me. That's pretty tough. Um. This is totally unrelated, but this conversation about streaming has just reminded me that I have a like new celebrity TV crush for 2020. I forgot okay. to mention this to you. Go ahead. I presume you haven't watched Love Life on HBO Max. You and Chris Ryan have both recommended it to me and I just haven't gotten there yet, but I, it's on my list. Did you watch High Fidelity? Yes, I did. So her British love interest from High Fidelity is named Kingsley Benadire. Mm -hmm. He's also in Love Life. And I would just like to buy all of the Kingsley Benadire stock. Wow. I, I couldn't love this man more uh, for someone I've never met. He is so handsome. He plays like just, you know, very dashing, charming man in both of these shows that are very similar in, in their sensibilities. And I'm all in on Kingsley Benadire. Like the only thing is like, could he have been in normal people? That would have been like the big three, <laughs> the big three on streaming for me in 2020. But I just like, he's been the highlight of my streaming life of the last week. I didn't know that he was in love life. I thought he was fantastic in high fidelity, which is another thing that you recommended to me. And I was like, am I going to watch this? And then I watched it and I loved it. And I really recommend it though. Can we do, can we do spoilers for like 20 seconds right now? Sure. Sure. Can someone hit like the, hit the fast forward. If you don't want high fidelity screens, do they end up together? It's a cliffhanger. Okay. That's what I couldn't remember whether it's a cliffhanger and there's going to be a season two, but he'll be back in season two. It's honestly a Sophie's choice between Jake Lacey in that show and Kingsley Benadire in that uh, show. Yeah, it's tough. How do you, how do you pick? I, I mean, I would pick Kingsley Benadire. I just love this man. Watch Love Life, Amanda. You're going to okay. love it. Okay. Everyone, if you're listening, watch Love Life. All right. I'm going to watch Love Life. Anyway, can we go back to Grub Street Diet for a second? Yeah, sorry. Just, no, no, it was good it, because it was about, you know, we did a lot of things. 
there and that was good. But so I liked the Marissa Tomei one also just because she is just on the east side of, or not the just the Los Angeles in general, like it restaurant and source materials like check like Marissa Tomei is like is plugged in. And I really enjoy that. And I love her talking about like a beautiful shallot vinaigrette. Like sometimes I just find that the escapism that I personally need. That was the other thing. I was curious whether as we've always been talking a lot about like food media and food celebrities. And I just, I just, I know that you're not, um, cooking isn't your passion. So I was wondering whether these like resonated for you, given that you don't really care about cooking, but you do like eating. I love eating. And you like restaurants. Yes. I miss restaurants dearly. Um, I do like them. It just, it depends on the, on the celebrity. Like when it's like a true celebrity, like Marissa Tomei, I mean, it's very exciting, but I, in general, I do like them. I also just think it like speaks to, um, the like institution that is the Grub Street diet that they like routinely get such cool ones. And they also do a really wide swath of people, which is really cool as well. I have particularly been enjoying them in, in quarantine, number one, because, you know, I don't really have any that much else to do, but also, um, because everyone is at home. And so it gives like a real sense of what other people are doing right now, a real sense of connection and also how people are cooking. I wanted to highlight a few other ones that I thought were great in terms of the, um, the home that I would most like to be in. It Mm. was, um, Priya Krishna's home. Do you know Priya? She's a food writer and she is like in, in the times she writes for Grub Street. She was, did suffer Lucky Peach. Um, and she's sometimes on the Bon Appetit Test Kitchen. And she is at home with her parents in Dallas. And they are definitely cooking a lot because obviously she is a, a, a recipe developer, among many other things. And they also have cocktail hour most nights, like with music and specific cocktail hour hors d'oeuvres. And they're trying different cocktails every single time. And it's uh, her and her parents. And I just really thought this sounded fantastic. And I really appreciated that that was the routine that they had organized their life around. They're trying different cocktails. They did make a Negroni, which is my favorite cocktail, as as also mentioned in the Stanley Tucci episode of this. Oh, yeah. And yeah. And I just seems great. Love what they're doing. Recommend it. That's if they're, you know, it's kind of probably hard for me to get to Dallas right now. And they probably also don't need anyone. (laughs) But I really enjoyed it. I also really liked Another one I thought was interesting was Steve Sando, who is the, um, he, I think he runs the Rancho Gordo, which is like the elite bean, uh, mm. supplier and community. Where are you on beans right now in quarantine, Juliet? Um, I'm nowhere on beans. <laughs> I would say, <laughs> I would say over the weekend I stocked up on like items I had seen on Top Chef plus cheese, so prosciutto. Okay. And Parmesan and like Wait, so there was no there wasn't like cheese on Top Chef? There was. It was last week's Top Chef was it great. They went to Parma in Italy and they had okay. to do one dish with Parmesan and they had to do one dish with prosciutto, which are like the two of like Parma ham, which are the, the okay. two foods of Parma. And I was just I was like and then I went to Zabar's and I bought like two different soft cheeses and prosciutto and wasa crackers. So that's where I am. <laughs> okay. I support you. That's great. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Um, I know that beans are having a moment though. Well, they were, and it was like, they were having a moment. And then I think everyone kind of got like beaned out, you know, because every, the first month of quarantine, everyone was just like, now I, all I do is eat beans, but it's interesting to read from the perspective of someone who's been living the bean life his whole life. Um, and you know, like Rancho Gordo is, a um, is like a 
very like famous and successful like food world company. And so he has a lot of connections to kind of his like local food community. And that's always interesting. I think just worlds I don't really know about. Uh, and then one more, I really wanted to highlight a celebrity to both of us, Wesley Morris. Love Wesley so much. Hi, Wesley. Hope you're listening. Probably not. It was great stuff. Uh, yeah, he's probably not, but that's okay. But he is also, you know, talking about what he's been cooking and how he relates to recipes and, and where he gets things. Oh, we've got, he's got some Rancho Gordo, uh, baked beans here in this. So it's nice. It's like a whole little interconnected world in the Grub Street diet. Yeah. Love it. I like reading about food um, mm-hmm. and eating food. I just am a bad, bad cook. And I'm just sort of, I have found that I race through meals in quarantine because I'm just kind of like, let's just get this over with. So I'm no Aww. longer hungry. I know. Okay. I know. I need to work on that. Last week, you told me a sad story of like a, a recipe going wrong. Yeah, and just like, I was like, I offered, point. I was like, you can, you can FaceTime. Like I will take the FaceTime. I don't take that many people's FaceTimes. I <laughs> like, that sounds like a lot of people are FaceTiming me and I'm like, no, no, I won't be accepting your FaceTime though. I don't know whether you do this. If someone FaceTimes you, you know, and their face shows up on the phone, I instinctively hide from the phone. Cause I think they can see me. And I don't know whether that's a normal reaction or whether that's well, just doesn't your face show up? Like it's a FaceTime that you get and you look at your phone and you see yourself until you answer and then it becomes them. I don't know. Is that the case? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I just know that like the camera is suddenly active and I'm like, <laughs> I have to hide. Like, it's no, like, it's oh no, go. they can see me. Um, I don't really get that many FaceTimes. But what I wanted to say is that if you FaceTimed me, I would accept it and help with the the cooking process. But I know that's just, that's like, that's not the solution. That's not what you're looking for. I'm impatient. For. I'm just an impatient person. It doesn't go well with cooking, but okay. Like I got a Keurig for my home at one point. That's like okay. the peak of impatience. So yeah. <laughs> well, it's not, not great, but you know, we're, we're all finding our way in this food world. Marissa Tomei, we salute you. Yeah. And many others. And many, that's, I just also think I like, this is a way of being, interested in a person and learning about someone's life that I like, which is just someone being I definitely like, now, agree I will, that. now I will share this diary and, and it will give me a sense of a person and another way of living in the world and also doesn't feel like invasive in the same totally. way. So shout out to these types of diaries and to the Grub Street Diet. Thanks to everyone for listening. That's a very positive note to end on. <laughs> we, we'll be back next week. We will. 